We are so thrilled to have our, our guest, Randy Hurst, with us this evening. Randy is a pastor, he is a missionary, he is an author. My eight-year-old asked Randy, how many books have you written? And he said, I don't know, probably more than, than 20. Uh, behind the scenes, Randy is also a pastor to pastors. He has a, a, an ear and a heart for, for pastors and, and leaders. And there are not very many places on this planet that Randy has not been. And this is my evidence of that, all right? So a few years ago, someone in Springfield called and asked if I'd be willing to go and help with a project in Vanuatu. Vanuatu where? Vanuatu, have you ever heard of Vanuatu? Where is it? South Pacific. It's so remote and so small that often they just don't put it on maps. But it's a country, you can Google it, you can fact check me, and I said, sure, I would be honored to go to Vanuatu. We'd done a couple of days of work there, and on the last night, the missionary said, there's a church that has invited us, and it's way on the remote side of this tiny island. Should we go? We should go. So we drive all the way out there, way, it feels like if there's a picture of what would feel to us like the middle of nowhere, this would be like there. To them, it's the center of the world, but to us, it's the end of the earth. So we go there and we have this great service. I feel like I'm the only American they've ever met. But then at the very end, this precious lady comes up and she goes, would you please, for me, say hello to your pastor for me? My pastor? And she says, yes, please say hello to Randy Hurst for me. Because <laughs> Randy had been there. All right, People's Church, let's give our very best People's Church welcome. And when I say very best, if you're able, get up out of your seat. And please welcome back to People's Church, Randy Hurst. Thank you, folks. It's always a delight to be here. It's much easier on the eyes than the first time I was here. First time I was here with Denny Davis, and the whole sanctuary was flaming orange, as I recall. It was, I mean, it blew you away. But, you know, that's a touching story. Tom had never told me that. And uh, actually, it was probably about the year before, so I'd preached the general council there. I would tell you one of the most embarrassing, humbling, uh, moving experiences I had was in Vanuatu at the conclusion. They had thousands there for the general council. And uh, people are very poor there, which Tom will tell you. It's a very poor country, and anything imported is very expensive. It's, it's really a challenge those people live under. And after I preached the general council, at the end, missionary Brian Webb, who's also a great friend of uh, Tom's, um, at the very end, he said, they want to take a love offering for you. I said, Tom, please. I mean, excuse me, Brian, please, I, I can't accept the law offering. He said, Randy, they will be offended if you do not receive the offering, if they don't receive an offering from them. And I have to tell you, they had these big plastic buckets, and it was all coins, because that's all they had was coins. But these people, literally thousands of them, came forward putting coins in these plastic buckets. I think somewhere I have a picture of the bucket full of, buckets full of coins, and uh, it, it added up to more than $1,800, which for them, that's huge. And I couldn't accept it, <laughs> so I gave it to uh, a missionary who was in need. But, um, you know, when you've been to those places, 
you know, to, to be at both ends, the people in this church at this end who give so that people like Brian can go and preach the gospel and the people at that end, and to know that the same spirit of faith and generosity, because it's God's spirit that moves those poor people to give as they gave, just as, as you give. And that's the way the body of Christ is around the world. And I, I told you this morning, I've told you many times how blessed you are to have Scott and Bonnie Erickson as your pastors. But I also need to tell you, you're very, you're very blessed that the Lord uh, had brought Tom and Jennifer here to be part of your body as well. I met him a number of years ago. And by the way, we, I was having pizza at their house the night before last. Uh, Tom texted me because he picked me up at the airport. He said, do you want to go to a restaurant or go to our house for pizza? I said, whatever you want to do. So we went for the pizza, and uh, Jennifer made the most awesome raspberry pie. I, I'm sure it's sinful in some category or another. But uh, when I was there, Ruth called me, and I had forgotten when I got in the car, because Tom was right there when I got through security, and I forgot to call Ruth, tell her I'd arrived. And so she called when I was there, and she said, where are you? I said, well, I'm with uh, Tom and Jennifer having pizza. You know, and Tom and Jennifer, who? I said, Murray. And, and she didn't recall who they were, and so I said, remember when they came down to Springfield before they went overseas to Vanuatu? And I said, uh, before he went to Vanuatu, we took them out to Yen Ching Restaurant. She said, oh, the good-looking guy. I just had to do that, you know. <laughs> so he was obviously memorable to Ruth anyway. So anyway, so it's such a delight to be with you again tonight. Let me ask you a question, a leading question. During the current crises in which we are, and it's not just about the pandemic and all the political hostility and, uh, you know, the racial tensions and all of these things, to how many of you had you had the thought within the last few months that we're really living in the last days? How many of you that's occurred to you? You know, when you read Matthew 24 and 25 and Luke 21 at Jesus' words, it's like reading a description of today. And uh, I want to begin the text I want to share with you tonight. I'm going to begin from the original Living Bible. Uh, it was my privilege to meet Ken Taylor when, now, some of you may have the New Living Translation. That's the successor to the Living Bible. But Ken Taylor, uh, when commuting into Chicago on the train, wrote the paraphrase of the Living Bible, and the first part of it that was published was Paul's Epistles, and it was titled as Living Letters. How many of you are old enough to remember when Living Letters came out? And Billy Graham loved it, so he gave it away, and the Living Bible was off and running. And... Uh, <clears throat> I read through various translations of my Bible reading, and I was reading in the Living Bible in Revelation and came upon this, upon this verse in Revelation 22, verse 11, the Living Bible. And when that time comes, all doing wrong will do it more and more. The vile will become more vile. Good men will be better. Those who are holy will continue on in greater holiness. Now, before this verse, and you need to have the context, uh, this is, of course, in the last chapter in the Bible, and the angel who appeared to John the Beloved on the Isle of Patmos gave this message to John the Beloved. 
And the way Ken Taylor translated it, by the way, I had a privilege of meeting, I started to say Ken Taylor, because my dear friend Bob Schmidgall uh, took me to meet Ken Taylor, and he was such a humble, quiet man. And uh, when I read this, it just kind of jumped out at me, and he states it in, now I'm going to get a little grammatical, so by the way, punch the person next to you, say Greek grammar is exciting, okay? Now Ken Taylor gets the <clears throat> mood of this wrong. He does it in the indicative mood, and in the Greek it's in the imperative mood. So he states this, and I don't think it's wrong for him to do it in the indicative mood, because the way the angel says it, though it's imperative, it is describing the last days. How many of you believe this is true? That all doing wrong will do it more and more, and the vile will become more vile. Good men will be better, and those who are holy will continue on in greater holiness. Now, for context, right before this verse, he says, the time of fulfillment is near. How many of you believe the time of fulfillment is near? And after this verse, he says, I love this, my reward is with me. You know, I just believe, you know, when, when the Lord says that if you give a cup of water in his name, you'll not lose your reward, that's incredible. And you know, when you make your faith promise, as pastor said this morning, you know, this is not an obligation to the church. The reason you say, well, why fill out the card? Because you see, it's as the Lord speaks to you in faith that it gives the leadership of the church an idea of how much the increase will be for this year so they can make commitment to, commitments to support more missionaries. So that's the only reason why it's recorded. But it's between you and God. Now this accurately describes the last days, but as I said, it's all in Greek in the imperative mood. In other words, it's a command. So I'm gonna read it from the NIV, which does get it in the, <clears throat> in the imperative mood. Revelation 22:11. I think they'll put this on the screen as well. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Now I want you to notice two things here and highlighted there is do and be, do and be. There is a do verb for the unrighteous and a be verb for the unrighteous. And there is a do verb for the righteous and a be verb for the righteous. Now, usually when I preach or teach, I have between one and 10 points and the congregation's job is to figure out what they are. But I'm going to tell you a very simple, by the way, my favorite number of points is two points. And that's what we have this evening because the text really necessitates two points. And notice this, do, be, do, be, and I highlighted the word let because that's saying the imperative. Now, right away I need to deal with something that seems strange here. Why would the angel say to the evil people, those who do wrong, why does he command them to keep doing wrong? And why does he tell the vile to keep being vile? It's not because God wants them to do that. What he is stating in this, in this statement to both the unrighteous and the righteous 
You see, the imperative demands a response. And what he's saying, whatever you're doing, go ahead and do it because you've made your choice. That's what he's saying. That's the purpose of the imperative, not because God wants the vile to be vile. But he's saying, you've made that choice, so continue on in that choice. Now, the first of these two, as I told you, there's a do and a be, and the points are simply do and be. And the first is simply to do good. In Ephesians 2.10, you all know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 very well. You can quote it with me. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, the faith, is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So right after Paul says, we're not saved by good works, in verse 10, he turns right around and says, we're saved for good works. So for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're not saved for, by good works. We are saved for good works. So notice what he says to the righteous is simply to do good. The one who does right continue to do right and let the holy person continue to be holy. So let's talk first about, about doing good. You know, and by the way, in verse 10, he says that these good works... God has prepared them for us that we should walk in them. Most of the time, we figure that out after the fact. We just do something, we think it's something that just happened, and then we look back, and how many of you look back, and the expression people say, wow, that was, they usually say, a God thing now. By the way, I'm not crazy about that statement because I don't like God as an adjective. <laughs> God is God, okay? But let's say let's use the adjective. It's a divine thing. It wasn't just a natural thing. Not long ago, <clears throat> my son, have you ever noticed your kids are generous with your stuff? Hello? And there was a missionary in town who needed a car. So my son loaned him, actually it was my wife's car. And he was driving down Glenstone Avenue, which is the busiest street in Springfield, and uh, took a wrong turn and plowed into two cars, totaled Ruth's car, totaled another car, severely damaged another car. I mean, it was a mess, okay? And so I was called by the missionary, so I raced out to Glenstone there, and, and uh, my son was there with the, the victim that was hitting the car, and he was praying with him and all of this, you know, and uh, smoothing it over a little bit, and hopefully his prayers were effective as well. But then, because of that accident... I was told by my insurance agent I needed to have a police report of some form of some sort. So I went to the police station. Now, this is a very little thing. But I'll just like I asked you about Peter Weber meeting him in that bar, how many think that's just chance that happened or that's just coincidence? Now, let me say, say something here about God. What is so amazing about God is not only there's nothing too big for him, there's nothing too small for him. You see, because of the fact God is infinite, he can give his attention to the infinitesimal. And so I'm in the police station. There was no one else in the lobby except one guy who had no shoes on. And I went and asked for the form. So she said, I'll have to go find it in a file cabinet. So I'm alone with this guy there. He was unshaven, in, in, not in a planned way. 
you know, you can tell when someone was just unshaving and his hair was messed up, his clothes were dirty, he had no shoes on. And you know, I just felt impressed. I thought, this guy needs something, and so I reached in my pocket. All I had was a $20 bill and a little change. So I took the $20 bill and I said to him, I said, sir, you know, I just feel maybe you could use this and I wanted to give this to you. And so I handed him the $20 bill. And he said, he reached in his pocket and he pulled out some coins. He had less than 40 cents in his pocket. And he said, you know, I haven't had anything to eat for two days. And he said, he said, I can't even buy the cheapest burger at McDonald's because I don't have 40 cents. And he said, you're an answer to prayer today. And when I got talking to him, I said, an answer to prayer? He said, yes, I was just praying God had helped me. May I tell you something, folks? There are very few things more exciting in life than being a part of an answer to prayer. It was only 20 bucks. Let me give you a little advice here. When you have an urge to give money to somebody, however much it is, $20, $50, $100, it's not worth 50 bucks not to do it. For two reasons. Number one, it's very likely that when the Lord impresses that, and you may not feel some vision or some glowing thing, but you not only are going to be an answer to prayer, I honestly believe, I'll get off the platform, because Ruth told me, my wife told me many years ago when I was a pastor, not to preach my opinions. If we have time, I'll tell you this little thing, okay? We're at lunch. I was pastoring Fairview Heights before we went to the mission field. And at lunch, she said, <clears throat> that was a good sermon this morning, honey. Well, thank you, honey. She said, but could you take a little constructive criticism? And I lied. I said, yes. <laughs> she said, I counted six times this morning. You said, you know what I think? I said, you're right. That's a bad speech habit. You know, we have these things we say over and over again. She said, it's worse than that. She said, I don't really care what you think. I don't come to church to hear what you think, and neither do any of our congregation. We come to hear what God thinks. Hello. And I'll tell you, so since then, I don't say, you know what I think, but if I decide I'm going to say what I think, I step off the platform. So that anytime I step off, okay, means I'm going to give you an opinion, all right? But it is my not only opinion, it's my conviction by experience that giving is one of the major ways God teaches us how to hear his voice. We're going to need to hear his voice in a lot bigger things than $20, $50, or $100. But when he impresses on us to give and we find out, how many of you, let me ask you, I'll give you a test. How many of you have had that happen? You just felt an urge to give a specific amount of money to somebody. How many did it? How many after you did it, they said something like this, you couldn't possibly have known my need. How many were glad you did it? How many of you know what I'm saying? It's not worth 20, 50, or $100 to miss out on the opportunity, not only to be God's hand of blessing to someone, but it'll be teaching you how to hear his voice for a lot bigger things than the 20 or 50 or $100. Now I'm gonna get back on the platform. That's the end of my opinion for now.
There may be another one later, okay? You know, some things are a lot harder than $20. I was just last week in Des Moines, Iowa, and I'm not big on Facebook. I do it, you know, because you have to do it or people think you're dead. But, you know, I got a private message on Facebook from someone just a little over a year ago, and I don't know, I may have told this here, but it's it's appropriate for what I want to say here. But it was a message from a lady named Vicki, and she said, you may not remember me. I immediately remembered her because I had always wondered what happened to Vicki. And my mind went back. See, we were youth pastors at First Assembly in Des Moines, Iowa, and across town at the other large church, church, Berean Assembly of God, there was a young couple who couldn't have children, and there was a teenage girl from another church that became pregnant. She wasn't serving the Lord. She was not a believer, but she did not want to have an abortion, and she wanted to give the child up for adoption, so you know all these arrangements are made, and, and the adoptive parents don't know who the girl is and all of this, and so the pastor of that church said, you know, we can't have this girl come and live with a family in our church or people are going to figure out who she is. Would you and Ruth be willing to take this girl, this teenage girl, into your home until she has the baby? And Ruth and I just looked at each other. We didn't say a word. We just looked at each other and immediately knew and see, yes, we'll do it. And I will tell you, Vicky was a hassle. She was a hassle. She was a piece of work. But I got a message on Facebook last year. Just wanted you to know that when I came to stay in your home, she said, I wasn't a Christian. But she said, when I saw how you and Ruth lived, I decided to follow Jesus. And after I gave birth to my little boy that was adopted by a family in a church, She said, uh, after that, she said, I went to Bible college. I graduated from Bible college. She, She said, I'm now in ministry. And she said, here's a picture of me and my son that I was carrying in your home. And he's also serving the Lord. And I will tell you, having someone in your home seven months takes a lot more than 20 bucks or 50 bucks or 100 bucks. But I will tell you, I can't think of anything in ministry that has meant more to me than what God did in her life and her son's life because we opened our home. What am I saying? This is what the angel is saying. The closer we get to the coming of the Lord, we're to increasingly do good. And we think at the time it's just something that came about, but Ephesians 2.10 says that he's prepared those good works for us. May I tell you, the cheapest, easiest good works I know, and they produce incredible results, is just speaking kind words to and about people. I've made it my practice for many years, if I hear something good about someone and it's related to someone else, I'm gonna tell that person. I want you to know what I heard that this person, 
you know what? Passing on good news edifies the body of Christ. And just a kind word to someone. It may seem a little thing to us. Do you know how much people need to hear kind words? I really believe in this time, and I'm going to come to this a little later. How many know in our nation, it is not abundant with kind words these days? But let me tell you, the power in the tongue to speak life into someone by just saying something kind and being God's purpose in that person's life. Proverbs 3.27, I love this text. I'll read it again from the New Living Translation. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. That's a command from God. When it's in your power to help somebody, don't withhold that. Folks, I, I don't know of very many things that are, are greater good to do than making out a faith promise. Do you know the power of that faith promise? If it wasn't for the faith, the obedience of all the members of this congregation and the faithfulness to fulfill that great, there's no way the 200 missionaries all over this world could be proclaiming the gospel. And as Tom stated earlier, it's not just about preaching. It's not just proclamation. It's training. It's, it's planting churches. It is serving the poor and suffering in the love of Christ. He says, do good. I spent more time on that than I needed to. Let me share with you this. We do what we do because we are what we are. Notice in that text, he has do, be, do, be. We do what we do because we are what we are. There's a great example of this, and, and I will tell you that very often in the executive committee on which I've served for many years, there are people who want to do something with Assemblies of God World Missions. And the first question I ask is, why? Do you know that not everyone who wants to do something has the right motive in why they want to do it? Hello? And Jesus told an amazing story about this. He said, you know, when the shepherd is guarding the sheep, he said, and the wolf comes and attacks the sheep, the shepherd's going to protect him, but the hireling is going to run away. And then he says it so profoundly. Why does the hireling run away? And this is Jesus' brilliant answer. Because he's a hireling. Hello? He does what he does because he is who he is. He's not a shepherd that cares for the sheep. He's someone who cares about the money that he's being paid and if a wolf's going to come, the money isn't worth it if you don't really care about the sheep. We do what we do because we are what we are. Okay, so do good is the first point. Now, don't get packing your duds because I told you there are only two points, but the second point's the longest one. Just being honest, okay? Do good. Be holy. That's going to take more time to unpack. Revelation 22, 11. I'm now going to read from the American Standard Version. And the reason is I read this text in 11 different versions after I exegeted it in Greek. And the only translation that got the verbs exactly right was the old American Standard translation that is now about 120 years old. Okay? 
So I'm going to read it carefully. It'll be up on the screen, okay? He that is unrighteous, this is the most literal translation closest to the Greek I found anywhere. He that is unrighteous, let him do unrighteousness still. And he that is filthy, let him be made filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him do righteousness still. And he that is holy, let him be made holy still. Now let me show you the difference between that and the NIV. Because you see, what is critical in these do verbs and be verbs is that the do verbs are active. The be verbs are passive. And the ASV is the only one that gets, now how many remember active voice and passive voice? Active voice, the subject performs the action. Passive voice, the subject receives the action. Now why is that important, okay? Let's talk first on the negative. When he's talking about the unrighteous and he's talking about the filthy, okay? I'm gonna use a different, more contemporary term for filthy, for that Greek word, polluted. We hear a lot about pollution of the environment, don't we? What about pollution of the spiritual environment? What he's talking about is people who are being made filthy. Now, why is it important to understand that's passive? I'll tell you why, because in this world, all you have to do to be polluted is nothing. By the very fact you are in a polluting environment, unless you do something to protect yourself, you will become polluted. I know no one's real excited about that, but let me tell you, it's the truth, okay? So the pollution is passive. You see, we are in not only a spiritually polluted, how many believe we're in a polluted spiritual environment? We are in a spiritually polluting environment, and unless we do something intentional to protect ourselves, that will pollute us. It's my conviction that we, each of us, are either being polluted or being cleansed. There's nothing neutral. You're either, you are having forces at work upon you in your personal environment, and those things are either polluting you or by your choice, and we're gonna to come to this, or you are being cleansed. What's the difference? It's an issue of intentionality. By the way, I don't normally have titles to the messages. I don't know if they put up the title of the message. You know, when they used to have cassette people, you know, they were gonna do the cassettes and they wanted to have a title on the cassette and they'd come to me and they'd say, what's your title? I've never been good at titles, okay? My former pastor was great at titles. They were usually better than the sermons. But I've never been great at titles. And uh, so they'd say, what's your title? I would say, March 25th, AM. You know, the tape people didn't, weren't crazy about me on their titles. But I do have a title, and here's, I thought about it very carefully. The title of this message is, God's Working, Our Choice. God's Working, Our Choice. So how are we going to be, not be polluted? It's intentionality. 
Both pollution and holiness are passive, but we make the choice about whether we're going to be polluted or whether we're going to be holy. The force of action is not that we pollute ourselves, it's just that we don't protect ourselves from being polluted. And this is even more important. Being holy is passive. Do you know that you can't make yourself holy? You can't make yourself holy. Now, I grew up in, how many grew up in the Assemblies of God? Okay, okay, except in Southern Missouri, it started with an S, and it was only one word, Simly God. What church do you go to? Simly God. What do you believe? We don't smoke, and we don't chew, and we don't date any girls that do. We don't square dance. We don't wear earrings. Our ladies don't wear open-toed shoes. How many know what I'm talking about? Do you know that my mother, in the Assemblies of God growing up, my mother could not wear a single pearl on her ear. How many ladies know what I'm talking about? The Assemblies of God isn't that way anymore. Now you can wear fishing tackle, ladies. I mean, you know, the Assemblies of God got liberated. But I'll tell you what, and, and please listen to me carefully. We need to return to the desire for holiness we grew up in. But there was one problem. People thought what we did was what made us holy. What we did, we do what we do, not to become. We do what we do because we are what we are. Our behavior is the fruit of our holiness, not the cause of it. Now, I'm not going to say there's no connection, but notice the Greek text is very clear here that those who are holy are to, and it's a linear tense, let us continue to be made holy. Let me tell you, it doesn't happen instantaneously. Now, those of you uh, in full-time ministry and credential know what I'm talking about, the difference between instantaneous and progressive sanctification and all of that. I'll tell you something. There's nothing you can do to be instantaneously holy. It is something that's going to happen in your life the rest of your life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now, may the God of peace Make you holy in every way. How are we going to become holy? It's only because God is going to make us holy. May the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. We can't make ourselves blameless. Only he can make us blameless, okay? Until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again, and I love this. God will make this happen. Why? For he who calls you is faithful. But I want you to notice, now here we go, a little more Greek grammar. There is a mood in Greek that we don't have in English. Now we talked about the imperative mood. We talked about active and passive voice. I want to talk to you about the optative mood. How many are familiar with the optative mood? I didn't think so, just a few, okay? The optative mood in, in Greek, what he is expressing here, Paul, to the Thessalonian church, and that's why I highlighted the word may. Now, may the God of peace make you holy. He's not doing it as an imperative, and it's not an indicative, it's an optative, which means... It's his desire or his wish or his hope 
But the optative mood means it might happen and it might not happen. But you say, well, it says at the end that God's going to make this happen. Yes, he is going to make it happen because you choose to let him make it happen. That's why I say, you see, it is God's working, but it is our choice as whether we allow God to do that. Now I want to talk to you about something. How many are familiar with social distancing? Now just a handful of people in people's church. I have to be honest, you're not doing it. I'm just telling you, a lot of you are not doing it. You're coming up and hugging me and shaking my hands and all this kind of stuff. How many know what social distancing is? I want to talk to you about spiritual distancing. May I tell you there is a far more vicious and dangerous disease out there than the coronavirus. It's called sin. Now you see the fact that this is in the optative mood. Listen, God is willing and capable of making us holy and keeping us blameless. How many believe that? That's his working. He's the one that's going to do it, but it's our choice as to whether or not that's going to happen. Romans 12, verse 9, he says, Abhor what is evil. This is imperative, by the way. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Notice he doesn't say, kind of lean away from evil. Kind of lean toward good. Is that the tone there? Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. By the way, the word translated abhor there, apostageo, it's the only time it occurs in the entire New Testament. And what it is, it's an intensification of the verb for hate. It is the strongest word for hate in the entire New Testament. He says, totally hate what is evil. Sounds kind of extreme, doesn't it? And then he says, cling to what is good. And I have to tell you the interesting thing about that Greek word for cling, it has to do with stickiness. It's a word that was used of adhesive. He's saying, totally hate what's evil, and literally he's saying, stick yourself to what's good. Does that sound to you like some kind of compromise? Or does it sound like it's totally one way or the other? What we're talking about, friends, is spiritual distancing. We need to abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. There's nothing to be moderate about our relationship with evil and good. 2 Corinthians 7.1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, and the promises to which he's referring are the promises of God being our God and we being his people, of our having a relationship with the eternal creator. And he said, because we have those promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Fear of God is not something a lot of people are talking about these days. I found a fascinating text in one of the Psalms where he says, unite, I love this, it's in my daily texts. Unite my heart to fear your name. You know there's a difference between mixed motives and a divided heart. And I'll tell you what the difference is. 
Every person in this room has mixed motives. You know why? Because we're human. Are you with me? How many know is our motives are like chocolate ripple ice cream? You know, we just can't totally sour and always have our motivation totally pure. That's because we're human. But there's a whole difference between mixed motives and a divided heart. A divided heart. And you know what? God says that, uh, God's word says that God, his eyes look throughout the world looking for those so he can bless and show himself strong to those whose hearts are completely his. You see, we're human, we fail, we have mixed motives, but I tell you, we do not have to have a divided heart. What were we singing earlier? It's one of my favorite choruses. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. God is looking for surrendered, totally surrendered hearts, and he's going to give his best to those who always leave the choice with him. But here's a little grammar lesson again on 2 Corinthians. Are you getting tired of Greek? If so, you can take a little nap. When he says, cleanse yourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Those are two different tenses in Greek. I've shared this with you before in other contexts. There's a tense that is linear, say linear, and there's a tense that is punctiliar, say punctiliar. Let me give you the difference. When Jesus says, ask and you'll receive, seek and you will find, knock and it'll be opened unto you. Those are not punctiliar tenses. Punctiliar happens at one point in time. He is literally saying, keep on asking and you'll receive. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and it'll be opened unto you. When Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, he is not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You are baptized in the Holy Spirit punctiliar one time but you are filled with the Holy Spirit linear for the rest of your life. Just because you spoke in tongues at, what was the camp? I preached it here. You know what I remembered about Oregon camp is you could see light through all the cracks and all the, have any ever been there? Okay, just because you spoke in tongues at Oregon camp in 1958 does not mean you're filled with the Holy Spirit right now. Hello? You are baptized in the Spirit one time, but he's saying you are to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. See the difference between punctiliar and linear. Now in this text, when he says cleanse yourself from defilement, let me ask you a question. It's just family here. How many of you took a bath today? Let me see your hands. You did it on a certain day. Taking a bath is punctiliar, and that's what he's saying here. Just like you take a bath, you cleanse yourself of defilement of your spirit. It's not something you wean yourself off of. Just stop it. That's what he's saying. If there's a defilement in your life, quit. Today. But perfecting holiness in the fear of God is linear. You don't perfect holiness on one day. You perfect holiness by the rest of your life. And I'm going to come to the means God has provided for us. You know, one of my favorite texts 
is the Apostle Peter, as an old man, said this. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Do you know what that means? It means we have no excuse. Hello? We have no excuse for defilement. We have no excuse for not becoming more holy because everything we need, God, by his divine power, has made that available to us. All right? So he's saying, cleanse yourself of defilement, but the rest of your life, keep perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know this so well. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies... And that's an act, punctiliar. You present your body. You say, God, I belong to you. A living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. I have to stop here. Now I'm going to give you another Greek lesson, okay? Are you still hanging with me? We know active voice and passive voice because in the text in Revelation, the do verbs are active, the be verbs are passive, right? But there's another voice in Greek that we don't have in English. It's kind of between active and passive, and guess what they call it? Middle voice, because it's in the middle between active and passive. And I have read Greek <laughs> grammars and extensive literature on the subject, and I will tell you, Greek scholars wrestle with that middle voice. But I'm going to give you, because it's my opinion, I'm going to step off the platform. Here's my definition of the middle voice. The force of the action is passive. The determination of the action is active. In other words, here, now, here I will tell you, when he says present your body, it's in the active voice. When he says be transformed, in other words, be totally changed, it's imperative mood, but it's totally passive. You know what that means? We aren't capable of transforming ourselves. Only God can transform us. And by the way, he even tells us how. By the renewing of your mind. It's going to happen because of your thought life. It's going to be happen because you, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, you put yourself in a position to let God's word fill your mind instead of the thoughts of this world, and it is the power of his word that will transform your mind. Okay, so presenting your body's active, being transformed is passive, but in the middle, he says, don't be conformed to this world. And that's a pretty good translation. I would prefer to translate it this way, because in the middle voice, the force of the action is passive. The determination of the action is active. Here's how I'd translate it. Don't let yourself be conformed to this world. Do you know what you have to do to be conformed to this world? Nothing, exactly. Because the world's gonna do it unless you determine not to let it happen. 
That's why I love the translation. Do you have the one in Philip's translation? Could you put it up there? I love the way J.B. Phillips says this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. What are we talking about? Spiritual distancing. It's spiritual distancing. We're so concerned about social distancing, we need spiritual distancing. I'll come back to that. Hang on, I'm almost done. Don't get your hopes up. Here's what I want you to understand. I don't know if you're like I am. I'm 71. I accepted Jesus when I was seven years of age at 911 Third Avenue Southwest in Aberdeen, South Dakota, in my grandma and grandpa's house. When I came home after a Thursday night adult prayer and Bible study, I have no idea what Pastor Geist spoke on. I do not remember, but I do remember this, that the Holy Spirit was dealing with this seven-year-old kid's heart. And I knew I needed Jesus to forgive me, and I needed him to come into my heart. I knelt down by a little cot where I was staying while my parents were itinerating to go as missionaries to Africa. I knelt down by that cot, and I said, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart. And I have to tell you, at 71, I get discouraged sometimes that I have not made more spiritual progress in that linear tense of perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And I'm not going to ask you to show your hands, but if any of you feel like that, I have good news for you. Don't give up on yourself because God hasn't. I told you about my daily texts. This is one I read every morning. I need it every day. Psalm 86.5 from the New Living Translation. Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. That's our God. We fail again and again and again, but he's full of unfailing love. And he'll still answer our penitent prayer to all, all, all who ask for your help. You see, we're, there's going to be a day of judgment, friends. The wrath of God is going to come. But we're living under grace. We're still in the time when he's manifesting his mercy and manifesting his grace. I have in my cell phone a picture of someone I miss very much. My sister Judy. And I have to tell you that there's a reason I look at that picture. I, I sent it to Mark. Is it there? Can you show the picture of my sister? Two years ago, 
My sister had lung cancer many years ago, had a lung removed. Then she developed staph infection for a year in the hospital. They had to remove a bunch of ribs, collapse her side. That gave her curvature of the spine, which gave her terrible, horrific migraine headaches. My sister suffered all of her life. But when we were kids, man, she was a piece of work. In fact, I tell you that I was preaching out in New England before cell phones. And I was in the hotel, and the phone rang, and it was my sister. She had tracked me down. She found out from Ruth what hotel I was staying in. And she said, Randy, she said, I had to call and ask you to forgive me. Now, she was in her 40s. And I said, what do you mean? She said, when we were kids, I used to lie to mom and dad about you. I said, I knew it. <laughs> yes, you did. And she said, would you forgive me? I said, Judy, of course I forgive you. I got to preach tomorrow. I can't not forgive you. <laughs> and, and you know, that just kind of tucked away. I thought, I don't know what she's going through. I thought it was a phase. But I'll tell you something. My sis, from that point on, was transformed. She was sweet all the time. Even when we were adults, actually, there was this tension. Even after she had had this illness, we still had the tension. And I thought, boy, this is a nice phase she's going through. But it wasn't a phase. And after a few months, I drove to my sister's house. And by the way, just a couple years ago, her body couldn't sustain itself anymore and in intensive care. I spent the last night of her life staying with her in her room in intensive care and every 10 or 15 minutes I had to move her so she could breathe a little bit more and then move her again so she could breathe a little bit more. And the next day, while I was holding her hand, she slipped into eternity. Several of us were around the bed and we were looking at her and she, she couldn't talk. She just looked at each of us. And then she looked up and never looked at us again until she closed her eyes and while I was holding her hand, she slipped into eternity. And I'll tell you why I keep that picture in my phone. Because yes, I read Psalm 86.5 every morning. But I keep that picture to say, God, if you could change my sister like you did in her 40s after she'd been serving you for 30 years, may I tell you, friends, you are never too old for God to transform you. And you say, how does it happen? I asked her, I drove over to her house and I said, sis, you're not the sister I grew up with. You're sweet now, all the time, you're sweet all the time. I said, and you called me out and asked for my forgiveness. And I said, ever since then, something changed. You're a different 
person. And she just smiled. And I said, Jude, I got to know what happened. You know how simple it is, friends? Now, my sister used to read books. She was a reader. Laura Ingalls Wilder, A Little House on the Prairie, all this stuff. She read all this fictional stuff. And the pastor, let me tell you, when I go to church and I go hear my pastor, I expect God to speak through my pastor to me for my benefit. And I'll tell you why. I think I taught years, years ago here on spiritual authority. Do you know that God gives your pastor beyond his own mental capacities God's word and wisdom for your life? He uses your shepherd to care for your soul. And pastor just exhorted the congregation to spend more time in God's word. And my sister realized, she said, I spend much more time reading Laura Ingalls Wilder than I do reading the word of God. And she started to read the word. And I won't tell you the verse. It's between me and her. She came to one verse of scripture and the Holy Spirit quickened that to her convicted her of that and in desperation she cried out to God and said God I don't want to be this way anymore God help me you know God doesn't just forgive us he's willing to change us listen to the old hymns Charles Wesley, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Listen, he canceled the sin, but he'll also break its power. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. Listen carefully. Be for sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. And I'll close by simply telling this. There are more notes. I want to wind it up right now and tell you this. In practical terms, I'm not going to ask you to show hands. But if you feel like I do in these trying times, that this simple verse of scripture I shared with you has an application in your life, I'm going to say three things. Number one, don't let the world pollute you. Practice spiritual distancing. And practice, I think I left it on front thing. How many carry this stuff now? Sanitizer, right? Let me tell you something. There's a lot more need of heart cleansing than there is hand cleansing. Practice spiritual cleansing. And you say, how can, how can I be cleansed? Yes, it says, cleanse yourself of all defilement, but how do you do it? I will tell you, God has provided two powerful means of that. And the first is the word of God. Do you know that when Paul is talking about husbands and wives in Ephesians chapter 5, and he talks about, by the way, you're going to love this, ladies. 
he puts a bigger burden on the husband than he does on the wife. People love to quote, wives obey your husbands. They forget that he says to husbands when he says love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He never asks the wife to give herself, to sacrifice herself for the husband, but he does command the husband to sacrifice himself like Jesus did for the wife. Some of you ladies ought to say amen to that. I don't expect anything from you men on that. But here's what he says. As Christ loved the church, husbands, you do this, that he might sanctify the church by washing of water with the what? With the word. May I tell you folks, every time I open the book, I need a spiritual bath every day. I don't know about you, in the polluting environment around us, I need God's word every day to cleanse me from the pollution that is around me that has an impact on my life. So first of all, get in and under the word. And secondly, seek the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in, he is going to make you holy. The text says this. Do good. Be holy. Lord Jesus, I just pray that this simple text will grip our hearts, O oh God, in the time in which we live, that you will enable us, that you will enable us to make the choices we need to make of spiritual distancing, spiritual cleansing, and Lord, to seek your Holy Spirit to use the power of your word in our life so that we will continue to be made holy by your power. Thank you for your grace. And Lord, as pastor comes to receive the faith promises, I just ask right now, when pastor's seat on the front row, I don't know very many of you personally, but I'm going to ask you not to raise a hand to me, but if, if you want God to work in your life in a special way, according and respond to this text and say, Lord, I'm going to do good and by your power and grace, I'm going to be holy. I'm going to ask you just to lift both of your hands up to him and I'm going to pray for you before a pastor comes. Father, I pray for these precious brothers and sisters in your body here in Salem, Oregon. Lord, there are so many people around us that desperately need the gospel message we have to share. But Lord, they need to see the difference in our lives. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I will share one last text in 1 John 2, 28. Little children abide or live in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Do you want to be ready to face Jesus? Lord Jesus, help us. We don't know how long it is before we'll stand before you, whether through death or through the rapture. 
But Lord, we want to be ready to stand before you and not shrink back in shame. Lord, there's a word we used to use when I was growing up. It was victory. And it was victory over the world, the devil, and the flesh. And I thank you that your divine power has granted to us everything. Everything pertaining to life and godliness.